Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you very much, Beth and team, for leading us into in worship into God's strong. And I am on um, for any visitors or guests that are with us today. My name is Kevin Armstrong, and I am just about halfway through the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is a season that Christians use to help prepare themselves for Easter. We're going to talk a little bit about why that's a good thing for all of us to use a bit of time. uh, And we're going to encourage us over the next 21 days to begin to prepare ourselves for the celebration of Easter. So we're starting a new series today, taking us up to Easter. And we're calling that series Reborn, Make Way for the King. What we're going to be doing in this series is is Brian and Dan and and myself are going to be giving messages where we look at some of the passages meditate all about. These these messages are intended to help promote us to think, to meditate, to reflect, to think about the lordship of Jesus in our lives, in our church, and indeed in the world at large. And that's what we want to do over the next little while. So before we start for today, let's go ahead and just commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is a delight to be gathered together as your people in this place that you have provided. And as we have sung and as we have said, we are grateful. Lord, we are mindful of your your goodness, your faithfulness, your grace toward us. We bask in that. We rejoice in it and we are so grateful for it. Lord, we praise you, we worship you as the almighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, as Lord and King of our lives and this church and your church and indeed the world. We welcome your kingdom here. We welcome your presence here. We ask, Lord, that you would commune with us and that we would have fellowship with the Holy Spirit over the next little while and take all of the words that are said and would you use them for your purpose and for your glory. Father, we're mindful of those in our congregation, our brothers and sisters, who are going through difficult times, and we lift them up to you. Lord, we pray that the words that are shared today, when they reach their ears, would also be words that help to encourage and help them frame their lives in ways that help them understand just how much you love them and want for them. So we commit all of this to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're going to start with a passage um, which is, on the surface, a little bit enigmatic. It's a bit of a a strange passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, and it says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple came to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that passage, I find it a little bit puzzling. What's really going on here? If you, if you can't read that passage and come away with a few question marks, then you haven't read it. <laughs> because on the surface, Jesus' answer seems to be a complete non sequitur to the question. All right, so the question that he's asked is, 
right? You know, the, the, the teacher of the law comes and says, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus says, you know what? Foxes, they have homes and birds have homes. Son of man, no home. How does that relate? Did he even answer the question? What does his answer have to do with the question? And why is Matthew even putting this in here, right in the middle, where after the Sermon on the Mount, we're about to move on to some great miracles, we've had healings, and these verses are just kind of dropped right in the middle of of this flow of Jesus' story as his ministry is beginning to gather steam and unfold. What on earth is Matthew trying to tell us by inserting these episodes from Jesus' ministry at this point in time? If we park here, though, we'll find that there is some significant learning. There is some significant insight that Jesus is, coming, is, is conveying to us and Matthew is trying to convey to us as well. So let's try and unpack it. The of the passage where it says that Jesus saw the crowds and he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's cross over the lake. Now remember that we said that this is coming after the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus' preaching. And after that, we have a series of miracles and we get the sense that Jesus is gaining a huge following and a reputation and all kinds of people are coming to him because of his teaching and and because of the miracles that he has performed. And when Jesus notices the crowd forming, he says, let's go. Jesus is on the move. Jesus decides to take his disciples and leave the crowd and go across the lake. Now, that's our first clue. Now, the other clue that's in here is there's a couple of words that are important words that we we want to focus on, but this is the first time that Jesus uses the title in the Gospel of Matthew, Son of Man. It is his most favorite way of referring to himself. He uses it 65 times in the Gospels to refer to himself. I don't think anybody else refers to Jesus that way in the gospel accounts. But it's the preferred title that he had for himself. And Son of Man harkens back to the Old Testament to the prophecy of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, where one like the Son of Man is the one who came and interrupted the kingdoms of this world to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And that was the title that Jesus took to himself when he referred to himself. So that's one of the clues of what Matthew is trying to convey to us, is Jesus is, is now revealing himself as the Son of Man, as he continues his mission. Now the other key to this passage is understanding the word follow. The word follow. The word follow has different levels of meaning to it in the Greek. The word is ak- akulotheo, And it can mean different things. It's the same word. Now, the other thing about this passage is we can't really tell from the passage in the original language. We don't really know just from the basis of the grammar and the actual language exactly what is going on. But there are some hints. There are some insights. There's certainly a traditional understanding that has stood the test of time for hundreds and thousands of years. And you're probably well familiar with that. But what I want us to do is kind of look at this. Um, and look at it a little more carefully, a little more, a little more deeply. Look at this word follow. Because the word follow can mean just kind of to tag along. Yeah, I'll tag along with you. But it can also mean I will cling to you. I will be conformed to you. I will be shaped by you. 
It's the same word. It can have that same meaning. And in both places where it's used in this passage, it's exactly the same word, and we don't really have a sense of which meaning Jesus was using and which one the teacher of the law was using. But it's possible that the teacher of the law was saying, I'll tag along with you wherever you go. And Jesus came along later on and responded to his disciple when he wanted to go and bury his father. He said, no, 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 you come and be conformed to me. And there could be that level of difference in the use of the word follow. It's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like saying, you know, that we choose to follow someone on social media. So it might be that you are interested in following Dan Fortin or Carl Nash as marathon runners. They both run marathons, and you might follow them. We saw some pictures recently on Facebook of Carl crossing the finish line in some of the book. And, I ch- and we've seen pictures of Dan. And so I follow them. But there's a huge difference between me following Dan and Carl in their marathon ventures on Facebook than if I was to run a race with them. If I was to say to Dan or Carl, I'll join you in your race... I mean, I don't, how, how many miles did you run on Saturday morning, Dan? You were telling me last night. 35 kilometers, right? 35 kilometers. I have a hard time walking five kilometers. Shirley and I go out and we go, we go for walks and it's just, just under five kilometers, right? And we walk it. So if I was to say to Dan or Carl, I'll run the race with you. I'll, I'll come along and I'll join you in your race. I would have to train like they train. I would have to be prepared like they are prepared. And that's the difference in following. We can follow Jesus with a social media kind of following. Yeah, I'll drop in from time to time. I'll check in and see what's going on. And and I'll kind of uh, keep tabs on Jesus through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these other kinds of things. But I think what we're seeing in a passage like this is Jesus is calling for a different depth of following. A different depth of following. You see, Jesus is on the move. Jesus sees the crowds and he crosses over the lake and he calls his disciples to come with him and cross the lake because Jesus is a man with a mission. He is the Son of Man. And he has come to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he is focused on that. And he wants his disciples to join him in that focus. Jesus isn't interested in drawing a crowd. He isn't interested in having a huge fan base. He's interested in making disciples and calling people to follow him. And that's what's going on. If we were to look at Luke's version of this, Luke tells the same episode. He frames it differently. He sets it into a different context, puts it in a different order of events. And that's one of the things about the Gospels. Each of the Gospels is unique because we're looking at the story of Jesus through the eyes of the Gospel writer. And Luke puts it in a little bit of a different place and even adds a third person to the story. But it's essentially the same story. It makes the same point. But Luke adds a very helpful detail in his telling of the story. In Luke chapter 9, he, he says this to the person who said, let me go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then after one says, well, another disciple says, well, well, let me just go even go say goodbye to my family first. 
Jesus answers, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You see, a call to follow Jesus is a call to service. It's a call to service in the kingdom of God. It's a call upon our life that Jesus makes. And he says, from now on, everything about your life, your whole life needs to be framed through this purpose, this mission, this call to be in the service of the kingdom of God. And when we look at what Jesus says to those people who said, I'll follow you, yeah, I'll follow you, even some of his own disciples, the second person in our passage, it says, was a disciple. This person had already said yes to Jesus, had already said, I'll follow you, Jesus, but then when something happened in their family and he wanted to go take care of it, what did Jesus say? You follow me and let the dead bury the dead. That's cold. Doesn't it seem cold? Doesn't it seem harsh? What was Jesus saying? I mean, that seems incredible. And then the other disciple in Luke's passage saying, well, let me at least individuals who abide in my family. And the implication in these passages is all of these individuals who wanted to follow Jesus somehow fell short of Jesus' expectation of what, what he wanted in a follower. Now, we're left hanging we're not told whether they actually came along or not. We're not. We don't know how these stories ended. And it's a question mark that is just left hanging. But what is clear in Matthew and Luke's telling of this is what Jesus wanted from his followers. That's clear. And maybe the question is unresolved because it's put out there for you and I as followers of Jesus to say, how would we respond? How would we respond? How would we respond to the call that Jesus gives on our life to come and follow him and join him in his service for the kingdom of God? Do you remember the rich young ruler, the story of the rich young ruler in in Luke's gospel, where he said, you know, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know what? keep the commandments and he said yeah I do that and then Jesus looking at him and we know that Jesus loved him and Jesus said yeah but there's one thing you're missing your heart's not quite in this go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me there's that word follow again come and follow me divest yourself of everything that's holding you back let go of all of the other things in your life that are preventing you from being wholeheartedly devoted to me let those go and come and follow me and we know how that story ended because that young man couldn't do it he couldn't bring himself to do it and Jesus watched him walk away. The disciples said, wow, that's hard. That's hard. And Jesus said, you know, with God all things are possible. And then we have this wonderful response from Peter in Luke 18 and verse 28. Having just watched this episode, Luke or Peter looks at Jesus and he says, we have left all we had to follow you. The twelve understood completely what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. We have left all we had to follow you. And they had. 
They absolutely had. You see, in the first century, to be a disciple, to be attached to a rabbi, was not like you and I understand it today. It was very different. When you became a disciple to a rabbi, you essentially, it was like an apprenticeship. It was like an internship. You were basically saying to that individual, I will, I, will, I will stick with you, I will walk with you, I will eat where you eat, I will sleep where you sleep, I will go with you, I will follow you, I will listen to you, I am going to allow my life to be shaped by you. That's what it meant. I'm going to allow my life to be shaped by you. Uh, Ray, Van, Ray Vanderlam is a, a Christian archaeologist who describes first century discipleship this way. He says, being like the rabbi is the major focus of the life of the Talmudim, which is a Hebrew word for disciple. They listen and question. They respond when questioned. They follow without knowing where the rabbi is taking them, knowing that the rabbi has good reason for bringing them to the right place for his teaching to make the most sense. There is a total trust, a total devotion. They are just completely following the rabbi, believing that the rabbi has purpose in what he's doing, and he's bringing them to where he wants them to be. Imagine the story of, on, you know, we're going to be having Palm Sunday here in a couple of weeks. We'll remember the story where Jesus sent two disciples into Jerusalem to get a mule for him. Remember that? He says, go into town and you're going to find a mule. It's going to be there. It's going to be, a, it's going to be tied up to a, a hitching post. I want you to go and I want you to untie it and I want you to bring it to me. And if anybody stops and says, hey, what are you doing to the, with the mule? Just say the master needs it. All right, so let's walk in those two disciples' shoes for a second. Okay? So I say to Paul, right? I say, Paul, I want you to go outside, right? I want you to find Dan Fortin's car. I want you to hotwire it, right? And I want you to drive it to my house. Okay? Oh, and by the way, if Dan says, hey, what are you doing with my car? Say, Kevin wants it. Now, Dan is a gracious man. So I, I probably should have chose somebody else because Dan would say, Dan would say, okay, if he needs it, let him have it, which is exactly what happened in this story. But that's how strange this is. That's how strange. Imagine those disciples. We're going to steal a colt. And what if somebody sees us stealing it? We could end up you know, being arrested by the magistrate and thrown into prison, right? But Jesus said, just go and do it. And so they go and do it. Because they trusted their rabbi, they believed that their rabbi had purpose and that their rabbi knew what he was doing and that their rabbi was going to teach them a life lesson and their lives were going to be conformed to him through their trust and obedience to him. That is discipleship. That is followership. Not some social media post where we drop in from time to time and get our verse of the day and figure out, oh, what's going on with Jesus today? It's an investment of your life and my life. It is a calling. It is a calling. And not everyone gets called and not everyone answers the call. Jesus is not looking to draw a crowd. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for disciples. So what does this teach us about the nature of followership when we look at these passages? How do you and I stand out from the crowd? As followers of Jesus. 
Well, I think when we look at these passages, we see a few things. One is we see that from Jesus' perspective, following him is sacrificial. It costs us something. It costs us everything. But it is sacrificial. We lay it all down for him. We put it all on the line for him. It is urgent. It is urgent. It is a calling that we must respond to now. We can't put it off. We can't defer it. We can't say, I'll get to it when. We can't say, I have other things that are more important in my life. I have all of these other obligations. I have all of these other pressures and all of these other things. No, Jesus says, you follow me now. Now's the time. And it's mission-focused. It's a calling to service. It's a calling that gives our life new purpose, new passion, new focus. It's a calling that says for the rest of your life, you're going to be about helping bring my kingdom here. You're going to proclaim it. You're going to serve it. Your life is going to be shaped by the kingdom of God and the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a follower. When Jesus says, come and follow me, that's the call. That's the invitation. And no, no, he doesn't accept anything less. Now let's go back to the teacher of the law. Back to where we started. The teacher of the law who said, I will follow you wherever you go. Because there was another teacher of the law who learned what it was to follow Jesus, who understood There was a time when Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the way of Christianity. But then he met Jesus and his life was radically transformed and he came to the place where he followed Jesus for the rest of his life and he describes that in his letter to the Philippians. And this is what I want us to think about for the next 21 days. Here's how he describes it, what it was like for him in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He had impeccable credentials. He was the teacher of the law coming to Jesus. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
When I read those words, I am stumped. I am absolutely stopped in my tracks. You see what Paul said there? Do you, hear, do you see Paul's focus on Jesus? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We all want to celebrate Easter. We all want to be Easter Christians. We all want to live forever and have eternal life. We all want the resurrection. But the way to the resurrection is the way of the cross. And the way to life is through death. Death to the old man. Death to the old person. And Paul understood that. And Paul said that. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And you see, this is what Lent is for. This is what Lent is for, is to to help us think through this in our own lives and say, what does this mean for me? How do I feel about this? How do I respond to this? Am I ready for Easter? We all want to celebrate. We all want to share in his resurrection. But are we willing to share in his sufferings? Are we willing to share in his sacrifice? Are we willing to share in his death? And so somehow, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, that great teacher of the law, who when he came to meet Jesus, realized that everything was different. Everything was different. We call this series Reborn, Make Way for the King. My message today is that the way of the king is the way of the cross. And that the way to life is the way of the cross. And that the way to Easter is through Good Friday, the cross. And Jesus says to you and I, when he says, come and follow me, he says, Pick up your cross and follow me. I want us to think about this through the season of Lent. To think about this verse, to think about this in our own lives. Let's meditate on it. Let's pray about it. Let's take it and sit with this passage before God. And let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us about the nature of our followership. What kind of follower am I of Jesus? Am I a social media socialite? Or have I laid it all down? And is my life fully defined by the kingdom of God? Whatever my circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I lay, I lay these words out uh, before our congregation and before you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that they would be words that are carried in your hands into hearts and minds as you see fit. Father, I'm, I am so mindful of the fact that um, your words can seem harsh, and that has not been my intent, Lord. And Any harshness to these words, Lord, is from me and not from you, and I pray that you would take that away in the hearing, in the hearts. Lord, you were never anything but love. And even for that rich young ruler who walked away from you, you loved him, Lord. 
And nothing we ever say or do is going to make you love us less. And so, Lord, I pray that, that these words would not be words that create feelings of guilt. You're not about guilt. You don't do guilt. I do pray that they are words of conviction because you do do that. And so, Lord, I pray that these words will fall on our hearts, my heart, with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit as you choose. Oh, Lord, your kingdom is so valuable, so great. It's so wonderful. The world needs it so much. Our families, our marriages, our church, our community needs your kingdom so much. And we are your disciples. It's our job to proclaim that kingdom here and now, Lord. Light that fire in us that we sang about. Give us fresh love for you and for your kingdom. May this season of Lent, as we, as we prepare over the next few weeks for Easter, may each of us be drawn so close to you, Lord, that we are on fire for you and we will lay it all down for you so that your kingdom can be built through us and this place in the year ahead. Lord, we are invested in a great cause, your cause the cause of the kingdom. Help us to pick up our cross and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.